0: Welcome to the Balance of Power Roundtable, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. This is the show where we dive in underneath the week's headlines and look at some of the broader trends going on in our politics. But of course, with the onrush as we head toward the midterm elections, we have to hit all those headlines as well. And to do that, we have our usual panel coming from the left, former U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes, and coming from the right, conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant, Alicia Preston. Let's start with the issue that voters consistently say is still number one on their minds, the economy and inflation. Two big stories coming in the last few days, one coming in In just the last 24 hours, as we record this Tuesday morning, October 11th, let's start with the Saudi announcement that they are going to cut oil production two million barrels a day in an an effort to prop up oil prices. This is being viewed by the Biden administration as a total stab in the back, a political uh, like uh, maneuver that will undermine Democrats' chances in the midterms. Uh, Paul, how significant is this? saudi oil production cut
1: well the, the the big news about the saudi oil cut is it should uh, cause all of us to reexamine the power of the fist bump um, the fist bump has become a ubiquitous sign of happiness deal making friendship um and 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 good good vibes and clearly that's what the president intended when he fist bumped the bone saw cutting uh, murderous leader of Saudi Arabia, hoping that the fist bump would establish a a new era of happy um, uh, consort with the Saudis. But it didn't work out that way because Russia happens to be a co-chair of OPEC. Oh, guess what? Uh, the Saudis decided that Russia and oil were more important, I guess, than their um, uh, their their alliance, so to speak, with the United States. Um, the bottom line is, folks, it's time to transition as quickly as we can from fossil fuels. It's time to be energy independent. It's time not to depend on Saudis. What 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 this has meant is, it's roiling the u.s economy uh, at a time when uh, we're a month away from the midterm elections gas prices had fallen now they're on their way back up because of this disruption whether or not the saudis intended political disadvantage to the democrats i don't know but the regular folks are going to look at the gas pump prices and say oh biden biden failed um, uh, Democrats failed to keep gas prices low. Uh, that's a, a stick in the eye um, uh, to Democrats and to Biden, who probably thought he had a fairly good and personal relationship that was gonna w- was gonna work. And when people questioned why did he go over there to do it, well, he was trying to avoid this. Alicia,
2: well, you know. It- Resoundly, everyone is laying the blame at the feet of Joe Biden. And rightfully so. He went to Saudi Arabia. He met with a murderous regime. Uh, and, gee, they don't want to play nice with America. They'd rather side with Russia. Shocking. Um, you know, from The Washington Post to The New York Times, by the way, I love The New York Times is referring to this, quote, failure as fist pump diplomacy. Uh, you know, what we're seeing is it didn't work and it should be. At the fault of Joe Biden, because he said he was going to fix this. He said, this is the way to do it. I'm going to go meet with this bad guy, despite the fact that, you know, he murdered a Washington Post reporter. I'm going to go meet with the bad guys because it's going to help Americans. And it didn't. And it's a punch in the face to us. And uh, Joe Biden needs to take responsibility for it. And I have a feeling he and members of his party will take that responsibility as gas prices go up leading into the midterms.
0: Well, first of all, I think you're laughably on message there, Alicia, considering that Jared Kushner got two billion dollars from the Sovereign Wealth Fund run by Mohammed bin Salman. Talk about
2: what aboutism? What is Jared elected to? I missed that race. Wait a second. don't,
0: Don't 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 go on about Joe Biden somehow being in bed with the Saudis when you know full well and you recognize on this very show that this is a very complex geopolitical situation that we're in. And we are hedging against the influence of Iran in the Middle East. And that's the major reason, in addition to oil, that we maintain relatively good relationships with the Saudis. I don't think Joe Biden ever, ever said that this was the thing that was going to fix gas prices. He recognized that we have to maintain some kind of relationship because, yes, the Saudis kind of have us by the um, uh, neck, I should say, when it comes to our relationship to them and oil and the energy that our economy depends on. So, yes, we have to play ball with them to some extent. And you recognize on this show that that there is that geopolitical reality. I will say that from a political standpoint, I'm not super impressed that this is necessarily going to hit the the Democrats in their midterm chances. We've seen a pretty good correlation with approval rating and gas prices when it comes to Joe Biden. We have not seen that same correlation when it comes to polling on the generic ballot or in specific U.S. Senate races when it comes to gas prices and Democrats. And so I could very well see this creating a hit to Joe Biden's approval rating But that's not necessarily going to translate to voters' feelings about Democrats in specific House and Senate races. But no, it does not help the overall political environment. We've said on this show before that that's essentially what this election is coming down to. You've got Democrats on one side talking mostly about abortion and Trump. You've got Republicans on the other side mostly talking about inflation. And if in the week before the election, gas prices have rebounded back up, That does not help Democrats. The extent to which it hurts them, uh, you know, is debatable. Speaking of which, Alicia, right before this show, you brought to our attention the fact that the railroad strike, which was seemingly averted in a deal brokered by the White House a few weeks ago, may be back on. One union among the uh, several that need to ratify the deal has decided not to accept the deal. It's a union representing nearly 12,000. Railroad workers. Now, there are 12 unions that represent 115,000 workers in total, and this is only one that has rejected the deal. By no means does this mean that a strike is going to happen, but it could. That that possibility is back on. How significant is that going to be, Alicia?
2: Well, that would be huge if that happens. And I hope it's averted. But I just like us to scroll back a few weeks when, you know, Joe Biden was doing the Rose Garden victory lap on this on this very show. I said, I don't know why everyone's prematurely doing a victory lap. The unions have to vote on it and they haven't done it yet. And here we are. And just for clarity, all 12 unions have to approve the deal. If one opposes it, the deal is dead. 57 percent of the unions of this union uh, rejected the deal. It's back to the uh, negotiating table for everybody because of that. Now, it, it is a significant problem if there is uh, if they strike because uh, you want to talk about inflation and the cost of things. Things will only go up. We need our rails to deliver goods and services across this country. So I suspect today there's a lot of people getting in a room renegotiating it because this is not something we want to happen.
1: So f- first of all, I you know, on Saturday Night Live, there was this thing I was something about Mr. Subliminal or something. And 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 I have to compliment Alicia for being Madam Subliminal here because uh, everything bad, Joe Biden, Um, things are really going to hell. Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden is the one who did the victory lap in the Rose garden
2: and said it was me. Okay, uh, it was you, bro. uh,
1: uh, (laughs) (laughs) Consorting with murderers, Joe Biden. So so I appreciate that Alicia's on message. I'm trying to dime Joe Biden for everything. I mean, you know, I my bagel wasn't properly toasted this morning, Joe Biden. Um, but here's what's going on. You should have
0: on. tried a Jewish space laser.
1: A Jewish space lasers to heat up my bagels. But look, um, the railroad companies have been stiffing workers increasingly for a long, long time. There was an interesting article, I think, in The New York Times the other day about the profits that the railroad companies are making. Uh, huge amounts of money, but they have cut back workers in a really unfair way, penalizing them for for having to go to the doctor. Penal you know penalizing them if they have to go to the bathroom. It's really not a good scene. So it's not surprising that there is um, some differing opinions in the ranks, even though the deal that was made raises salaries significantly Um, we'll have to see how this plays out but what it's doing is it's going to send them back to the negotiating table where joe biden will have another chance to do the joe biden thing and bring people together
0: let's move on to that overall political climate we were just alluding to the fact that if voters minds are on the economy rising gas prices if they do indeed rise. Or the looming threat of perhaps a railroad strike. That is not great for Democrats. But overall, it feels like over the last week, as we look at the scads of polls that are coming out, it's a little bit of a choose-your-own-adventure story. Remember those? Remember choose-your-own-adventure books? Well, that's back when people read books. Nowadays, I I don't know. Maybe there's a choose-your-own-adventure TikTok. The point being... we have kind of a choose your news situation when it comes to the polling on the one hand we have seen the gap closing in a number of marquee senate races with republicans who were down in a number of these races inching a little bit closer there have been articles coming out left and right no pun intended showing that you know this this increase in in, in margin that democrats were seeing on the generic ballot over the summer has been clawed back a little bit on the other hand you have analysts like Nate Silver and, and Nate Cohn in The New York Times pointing out, you know, there's still a very real chance here that not only do Democrats hold on to the Senate, they have about a two thirds uh, probability of doing that as of right now, according to 538, but they have a very reasonable chance of holding on to the House. Um, Paul, what are you what's standing out to you in the polling? Is any of this seeming particularly significant to you?
1: I expected there to be some, let's call it regression in the optimism that Democrats were feeling just a short time ago. It always happens. This is going to be an incredibly close election all over the map. Right now, it looks like uh, there's a real possibility that the Senate is 50 50 at the end of the day. Um, The good news. Uh, for uh, those of us in New Hampshire is that the uh, RNC is basically uh, pulling out of the hassan baldock race uh, because Hassan is crushing Baldock, the extreme, rabid, right-wing, radical uh, election denier um, who characterizes uh, Alicia's party these days, the cult of the GOP. Um, But overall, I think things are going to tighten um, and uh, it is has always been an uphill climb for Democrats to uh, keep the house It's always been an uphill climb it continues to be an uphill climb and things are going to get excruciatingly tight That's all you can say the country is just about appears to be just about evenly divided and that's what that's what we're starting to pick up
0: Alicia what's standing out to you?
1: Very
2: little standing out. Look, we've got a month to go, and I agree with Paul that everything is very tight in swing states. Most of the races are too close to call. Where will the momentum be? I think the momentum's on the side of Republicans, particularly if things get worse with uh, gas prices. That'll affect inflation. That'll affect energy costs. We're coming into the weather where people are turning on their heat. They're going to see their bills. In that respect, the momentum is on the Republican side. Uh, that being said, you know I caution those in my party. I see way too often in states. Around around. around the country, swing states, saying it's going to be a red wave, it's going to be a red wave, that will actually turn people off and keep them at home. And, you know, I think this is going to be an every vote needs to come out. And that is always, always the most difficult thing to gauge is who is coming out to vote and who will stay home. It's pretty nasty out there. in a lot of these swing states, it's gotten negative, it's gotten vile, it's gotten rude. And when that happens, a lot of undeclared and independent stay home or soft Democrats, soft Republicans, they just don't want to be part of it. And they got other things to do.
0: The thing that's really stood out to me is the uh, data and probabilization. Did I just make up a word there that makes no sense? The, yes, the way we, yeah, <laughs> right. It's like what brought up about messages. Yeah. So, I mean, we've gotten so kind of baked into our consciousness, this idea of looking at probabilities and sort of the Nates, here's a better word, the Nate silverization, of the way we look at elections we've gotten used to the idea of there's a probability distribution and we can look at the helpful meters which can look scary how likely is this how likely is that and what what really it reminds me of is the fact that we're dealing in probabilities here and there's no way to kind of look backwards at those probabilities and ever say they were wrong once the real world kind of catches up to the future that that sentence made no sense what i'm saying is this is kind of like a random event. We just don't know how it's going to fall out. And there are all kinds of ways that it could. And the things are so close. They're so tipping point close in both the Senate and the House that there are any number of scenarios that could that could come out from here. And it will make us think very differently about the election. And it just kind of draws me back to an article I wrote in Newsweek. It's coming up on Five six months ago, where I said, "Look, close actually matters here." I think we're in a very very different place than we were in the spring. Democrats have clawed back significantly from where we were projecting things would be back then. It is looking like it is going to be a razor thin margin, and that matters particularly in the House of Representatives. I'm not saying that Democrats should say, "Hey, you know, if we if we get close and lose, that that's pretty good." I, I'm not I'm not suggesting that, but that. It's not quite as binary an outcome as sort of the way we talk about horse race polling would make it seem. Yes, in individual races, one person's going to win, one person's going to lose, one party is going to hold the House, one party is going to hold the Senate. That's all true. But just remember that, that close matters a lot when it comes out into the dynamics that we're going to see play out politically over the next two years. And that's worth paying attention to as well. All right, here's the big news out of last week: Joe Biden finally got his Green New Deal. We excited about this, yeah. Dude, Joe Biden dude, pardoned, Joe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe, man, dude, uh, Paul, that was like so so rad. Was, you, know like, oh, yeah, you know what's funny? You know what's funny about this, actually, Paul, is that. You know, you're kind of doing a very 70s version like the Cheech and Chong take on smoking. marijuana. Uh, well, uh, By the come way, on. let I mean, me just say what he actually did for anyone who didn't catch the news. Right. He pardoned thousands of people who have been convicted of marijuana possession, just possession under federal law. So this well, doesn't apply, you're apply to everybody. It, you're smoking it. Too. All right, Cheech. Listen, settle down there. <laughs> settle down. But the point is, what you're doing is kind of the very 70s take on this. But nowadays, it, it voters have, have a very different view. It's not like it's not like the kind of Cheech and Chong, you're this. you're the stone, long haired, hippie, dippy weatherman, George Carlin type. You know, this is very, very mainstream. And I think Joe Biden has kind of caught up to where Americans are on this. I guess my question for you, Paul, is politically, does this maybe lean too far? Is this really where voters are? Is this something that voters are going to find acceptable and and justifiable? Or is this, you know, kind of going too far into the narrative that Democrats are soft on crime, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes?
1: No, I I really think um, that the bulk of the American electorate is so over uh, a debate about uh, marijuana and um, in 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 terms of simple possession and use, I, I really think you know everywhere apparently, but New Hampshire has has moved on, um, and I think Biden um, understands that. And I also think this may send a message to young people who don't come out in the midterms generally or come out and that's because the, they're too busy in the at home smoking term. marijuana they're mm. yeah, they're too busy at homes you know rolling the weed but but look it may it may say it, it 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 may send a message to an important part of the democratic base they're trying to get young people out that we care about we care about everybody we care about young people um we care about uh the injustice that's been done for jailing people for simple possession so i i don't i i i it it may not be much of a, of a bump or a boost. I think it's smart policy.
0: Alicia, the, the most notable change that we've seen on this issue has not been the movement of Democrats who have always been a little bit more accepting of marijuana use and possession. It's actually been the move among Republicans who have increasingly, in polling, found maru- marijuana use acceptable. How do you think this will play from your perspective and from your party?
2: Well, politically. I'm not sure what an impact it has. Look, he pardons 6,500 people. I totally support this, by the way. I don't think anyone should be in jail for simple possession of marijuana. But the problem with the issue is at the state level. Um, There are tens of thousands of Americans in jail for simple possession of of marijuana under state law. And that's where the real impact could actually come into play. Um, But the biggest problem we've got from a federal standpoint is the federal government has got to change the scheduling. That's what the FDA's list of where drugs are in the scheduling. And Marijuana is listed in the exact same category as heroin and LSD, which is insane. And so if the federal government wants to do what's right on this, they will change the scheduling level so that it is not part of that. It it should be left up to the states to do their own criminal measures on marijuana. I think it should be decriminalized because no one should be in jail for possession of a joint. I think that's insane. Uh, Times have changed. People's mentality has changed. We've learned more. We understand more. And, uh, you know, so I don't think there's a huge political impact from what Joe Biden did, but I think it is becoming more and more of an issue in states that have not taken this up yet. Just for full disclosure, as I'm advocating for the legalization, I do represent a business that is a cultivation and retail in Maine, and we are lobbying for legalization of that in New Hampshire. So for full disclosure, that is part of what I do.
0: But you see, I think that's notable as well. I mean, I, I, look, we, we appreciate transparency and disclosure and 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 the credibility that comes with that. That's important. But I also think it's it's interesting. You're a Republican, you're a lobbyist, you're a Republican lobbyist, and you have been engaged on this issue. It just goes to show how far we've come on this issue. I When I worked, I was a staffer in the state Senate of New Hampshire. This was 10 years ago. And I can tell you without talking out of school about internal conversations among Democrats, there were Democrats who were state senators in New Hampshire who were really, really nervous about this. And they felt that if they came out for anything less than criminalization of possession of marijuana, they would be hit by the police chiefs, they would be hit by the Republicans, and it would be a political disaster for them. And that's just no longer the case. And you know, Paul, I remember we used to get the the lobbyists from normal, the you know, pro-marijuana group in your congressional office. I thought they were dreaming. I thought they were dreaming the same way the advocates for same-sex marriage were dreaming. And we've had pretty rapid social change. The fact that Joe Biden did this last week and it's sort of relegated to a that's interesting kind of note on this show says something. It 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 does go to say something. On that, uh, let's let's move on to something a lot more sorted and a lot more serious, which is the ongoing Herschel Walker situation. When we did our show last week, the news of the fact that he had paid for an abortion for his then girlfriend back in 2009, that news had just broken. We were just starting to kind of wrap our, our minds around it over the last week. It's sort of I, I sound like purred happily here. This is a news story that just won't stop breaking. It, it, the The drip of further news has has continued. It turns out that he also fathered a child with that then girlfriend. Um, there's been a a, a painful lack of relationship with that child. um, and his his son, Christian Walker, has been subjecting Herschel Walker to blistering attacks on social media for his abandonment of his children and his rank hypocrisy. I guess my question to both of you, and I want to start with you, Alicia, um, as the resident Republican here, is will this matter politically? Will this have any real impact on his electoral chances in four weeks?
2: Oh, I think it will. I I think the whole package of Herschel Walker over the past two months will have an effect. He might still win. It's a very tight race, but look, I think more people will focus on the media is not focusing on, Um, you know, this, he paid for an abortion and he's pro-life. Now people can change in 13 years. That's a long time. Opinions can change. What bothers me is the kind of man he is. And we're talking about a person who has no or limited relationship with more than one of his children. And that goes to someone's character and quality of, human being. And I think that should weigh heavily. I think it should weigh more heavily than his quote unquote hypocrisy on abortion uh, because we can't say what's in his mind, but we can judge what's in his actions when he wants to be one of the, you know, top 100 leaders of our country. And I judge his character for his treatment of his children. And I think others may as well.
1: Look, Herschel Walker is as an example of uh, the Republican approach to recruiting candidates. Um, he was a mess at the beginning. He's more of a mess now. Um, the Republicans have, if they lose the if they don't gain the Senate, it's going to be because they have these terrible candidates, people like Blake Masters out in Arizona. And Herschel Walker may be the poster child for bad GOP recruiting. And of course, the GOP has now doubled down supporting Herschel Walker because they don't care what kind of person Herschel Walker is. All they care about is power and control. And um, it's venal. It's uh, it's the vicious side of politics. Uh, But the hypocrisy of seeing the morally bankrupt GOP standing up behind Herschel Walker to support him just shows us how low the Republican Party has sunk.
0: I Unfortunately, sadly, completely agree. It's I mean, first of all, in terms of the electoral impact, I actually could kind of argue this either way on the doesn't matter side. You could say that for high information voters, all of this stuff about Herschel Walker is baked in the fact that he's a hypocrite, a moron and just a horrible person that's not news really like that's all been out there and so if you have been following this election and you're already in on him you've you've kind of made your choice that that this is your guy you know this this isn't really that much further uh off of this stuff i mean this is a man who held a knife to his wife's throat and threatened to kill her so i mean Yeah, Alicia, you're right. There there can be redemption from certain things, but this is a completely unrepentant individual who is violent and and venal and could not care less about issues other than adopting the hardest right-wing positions available for political benefit. So high information voters, I don't think are gonna be phased by this. Low information voters probably aren't gonna hear about it. So where's the difference? The only thing that I will say that maybe has me more on the side of, yes, this does matter for the election, is it's going to shift the issue environment. They're going to keep talking about abortion because of this in the next few weeks. And that is an advantage for Raphael Warnock, the Democratic incumbent. If you're talking about that issue, you're probably not talking about the other stuff that the Republicans would prefer to be talking about. But, you know, Paul, I I do agree with your, your larger point as well. Herschel Walker is sort of emblematic of what we've seen, which is a, a really it, it goes back a number of years now. It's it's a willingness on the part of Republicans to embrace some some truly awful people and some truly awful positions for the sake of maintaining power. I have to ask Mitch McConnell, is there a line that's too far for you? I mean, it did seem that actually inciting an insurrection against against the government was was sort of a line that was too far for Mitch McConnell when it came to Donald Trump, except not really. He hasn't really fundamentally broken with him. And Republicans who were falling all over themselves to call Donald Trump an idiot, a lightweight, a threat back in 2015 and early 2016, all knuckled under, they all kowtowed, they all loved them some Trump because it was the only way to hold together the Republican coalition. And for them, Power was more important than any particular principle, with the notable exception of our friend Alicia Preston, who has consistently stood up to that kind of thinking. But it does beg the question of how far is too far? You know, is there a line? And apparently, Herschel Walker has not gone over it for most Republicans. Speaking of lines for Republicans, uh, we should talk about where ad spending has gone in recent weeks. There's been some really fascinating analysis about where Republicans have tried to push the race. I suggested on this show a few weeks ago that Ron DeSantis' stunt flying migrants from Texas to Massachusetts was all about making it immigration a clock. It's sort of the go-to move for Republicans whenever there's any kind of political problem. Let's change the subject to immigration. That's always a good move. And that is true to some degree, but where Republicans have actually been putting their money is on crime. And we've seen it in their ad spending. According to an NPR analysis of data from Ad Impact, Republicans spent close to $40 million on crime-related messaging in September, more than tripling the number of Republican ads on that issue from the month before. Alicia, why the pivot to crime?
2: Well, let me first say, uh, you know, I don't think, uh, crime is a very big issue. And it's a problem right now, but let me get to that in a second. What Republicans should be talking about is inflation, 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 inflation. I had a client consultant email me last week and said, Hey, what about this? And sent me a topic to touch on. I replied inflation. He goes, okay, you don't like that one. How about this? This went back and forth about four times. And all I would reply, Was one word inflation and i refuse to engage in any further discussion on any other topic or idea because all you need to be talking about republicans is the cost of living and energy prices and gas prices that is our winning message it is before us stop deferring to other topics now there's going to be secondary tertiary topics that people are talking about in the trail and crime is one of them and you know it is i looked up stats this summer the nypd released its crime statistics in july Crime in New York City is up 30 percent in one year, 30 percent in one year. What is that attributed to? According to the New York Police Department, they've got to put an end to the idea that criminals feel there are no consequences. That is a direct result in the whole defund the police movement. That is a direct result in shifting a billion dollars away from the police department in New York City and defunding, at least in part, in cities like Minneapolis and Portland, Oregon. Um, Criminals, according to the police experts, are under the impression that there are no consequences for their actions, that there aren't enough police out there to patrol the streets. And what you're seeing, is a major, major uptick in violent crime. And you know it's not so much a federal level except on the messaging side. And that's where the support for the police really matters um, and matters in people's hometowns. They wanna feel safe going to the grocery store or the corner store or up to a restaurant. Uh, If it continues to climb or even stay at the levels it is in cities across this country, that will start having an effect politically.
0: Paul, I wanna talk to you about where Democrats messaging has gone. I just have to call shenanigans on what you just said there, Alicia. I'm sorry, you're cherry-picking data. You're cherry-picking data from a few big cities. Overall, we did see a massive increase in crime during the pandemic, especially during 2020, but crime rates are roughly equivalent in cities run by Republicans and cities run by Democrats. This idea that it's somehow Democrats' policies that are responsible for increases of crime in specific cities is just not true. It's not. It's not supported by the data. And crime overall in the U.S. is actually down overall. So yes, you can definitely cherry pick statistics from specific cities, and you can try and pin that on Democrats. I just don't think the case is really there. I don't want to just pivot to Paul without allowing you to respond. But I, I, I just I, I do want to hit that point.
2: Law enforcement disagrees with you. Law enforcement across the country, not just in New York City. That was the biggest one. That's why I pulled it out, is saying that the defund movement is telling criminals there are no consequences. Even in cities where they were not defunded, the concept is there of lack of support for police, that criminals <clears> think <throat> they don't have to respect laws because no one respects law enforcement. OK, and that is from law enforcement officials across this country.
0: No, <laughs> that's that's from specific law enforcement officials who are Republicans who you've cherry picked. Quotes from, but the that's not the head of the New what, York
2: City Police Department. And, and,
0: yes, and correct. That's right. They're, uh, the Bernie union Hillary, that released the press Rudy release, Giuliani.
2: Yes. Okay. Bernie <laughs> Carrot's not in office
0: now. There's Neither a is long Giuliani. History, there's a long history of pre-hardcore Republicans running that police department.
2: Giuliani hasn't been in office since '02.
0: Yeah, so, so that's look, 20 he, years. Dude. Here's what's going on. The point is, here's yes, what's going, it's far-fetched that there are Republicans who are cherry-picking these quotes, but that's not what criminologists say. That's not what experts on crime say. That's, that's just not in the data. Violent crime, homicides, violent crimes are actually down in 2022. So again, you can cherry-pick a few cities and a few quotes from specific right-leaning police officers, but that doesn't mean that it's true in general.
1: I really appreciate that that Alicia is so resolutely and completely on message, no matter what the facts. It's really, it's really impressive. And and it goes to her expertise. Um, if I was a radical right-wing cult uh candidate, um, I, I would want Alicia on my team. She would somehow be able to explain my views in a way that would actually probably make it palatable to people never mind the fact that number one there is no defund movement and number two uh, if there is any um uh uh um source of, of a challenge these days it happens to be that we live for two years with a pandemic uh with real problems from the pandemic including a huge rise in um, addiction and abuse of other uh, of other drugs, such as the opioid epidemic, all of which uh, probably has contributed to some bump um, in the minor crime statistics, but certainly not in violent crime. So, Alicia, you're just wrong, but it's okay. You do a great job arguing it. And for Democrats, we're we're all about. We're all about babies. We love babies. Um, We love uh, women and uh, we want love freedom. And look, we're faced with a very simple choice in this election. Is it freedom or fascism? Alicia, unfortunately, the GOP is on the side of fascism. Democrats are on the side of freedom. We want freedom for women to control their own bodies. And we're going to talk about that till the cows come home on election night.
0: I want to let Alicia respond to this because we both just hit her with with a number of broadsides here. um, And it's only fair for you to weigh back in.
2: Sure. So I was just looking up some numbers while you guys were talking. And according to a study by the University of Pennsylvania completed and released this summer, violent crime in the United States is up over eight percent.
0: According to over over what time period
2: since (laughs) last year. In one year, from 2021 to 2022, I'm staring at it on my phone. That's also, overall, released by violent study. crime
0: is down to No, murders
2: are down slightly. Overall, hmm. violent crime is up over 8%. Now, we can all go to whatever statistics we want. You can. I found mine at UPenn. You can find yours somewhere else. There was also another study done by the, uh, an agency that is the 70 largest cities in the country. They also say violent crime is up. Murder is slightly down. Assaults are up and robberies are up. <coughs> Excuse me. But regardless, want to know what matters since we're talking politics here? Perception. People feel and perceive that crime is up. People feel and perceive that it is what these law enforcement agencies like the NYPD say, that it is because of the defund the police movement, the defund the police movement, which is actually a movement, Paul, regardless of what you know, we want to claim here. There are people, politicians across the country for two or three years who have been screaming, defund the police. There have been protests about it. That perception is reality. And it has been responded to by 11 cities, I think it is. I could be off by one or two that have actually, in part, defunded the police. And that is the response to a movement that you say doesn't exist. People see this. They hear it. They're worried. They support their local police departments and they want to feel safe in their hometowns.
0: But again, what you're doing here is you're picking a couple of leaves and trying to describe the forest. And overall, there is not a defund the police movement going on in the United States, There are one or two cities. There are cities where homicides are up. There are cities where crime is up there, where property crimes are up, where violent assaults are up. There are also cities where those are down. Overall, in the first half of 2022, violent crime is down. And again, you can cherry pick. You're cherry picking your own statistics. But no, I'm giving I'm giving nationwide I'm talking, statistics. You're picking you're picking cities that support your view of the
2: University things. of Pennsylvania is not a city and it was the, a
0: national survey uh, again. You're cherry picking statistics that go oh, with and, and you're cities. not cherry
2: picking statistics that go with you. You you keep referencing one. I've at least referenced two now. Children, children, 2% I, nothing, down. No, 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 That's no. one cherry pick.
0: No, you, you are looking at specific <laughs> cities. I'm looking at nationwide data. And overall, is nationwide data. Your point is that, hey, you know what? If people are worried about something, then that makes it real. Look, I agree with you. Perception is reality. But that's also a tautological, tail chasing argument. Because what Republicans always do on issues like this is they say, oh my gosh, I'm really, really worried about issue X. And they talk about it relentlessly. And then they cite polling data saying, You know what people are worried about now? Issue X. And then they say, well, this is a justification that this is a real issue because perception is reality. As Newt Gingrich said, hey, you know, feelings are facts. And therefore, we need to do something about it. This is nowhere more true. I'm not trying to change topics, but this is nowhere more true than on election fraud, election rigging, election subversion. Hey, you know, people are worried that elections are stolen, so we better pass a whole bunch of laws. Why are people worried about it? Because Republicans message relentlessly on it. And it is true that violent crime is definitely up and rose most significantly at the beginning of the pandemic. But it's also coming back down since then. And this is an issue because people do perceive it. It is real, but it's also something that Republicans are relentlessly messaging about. All right, I've given myself the last word, which is totally unfair. I'm kind of a jerk. You can get back at me after the show, which I assure all of our listeners, Alicia is very, very good at, and she always wins those arguments after the show. I just I just like to have our arguments kind of end on my note while we're on the air. That's, I, you know. I you can see why I prefer that all right let's let's just sneak in a couple more before we we leave here. look we we kind of passed over this issue last week. we I gave you the choice at the close of the show last week, Alicia, do you want to talk about one of two depressing topics? and you said, you know, I want to talk about nuclear war. L- let's just touch on nuclear war because it's kind of significant here people, there's. Uh, there were one organization estimated that there's a nine percent chance that we will see the deployment of some kind of a nuclear weapon in the next year from Russia as part of the war in Ukraine. This is a big deal. Joe Biden said that the the chances of of some kind of nuclear conflict are the highest that they've been since 1962 in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um I, I guess Paul, I, I should turn to you first, you know, you have a long track record on this issue. Um, on on nuclear abolishment, concern over nuclear war. Um, What was your read on this? The president of the United States giving such a stern warning about the threat of nuclear war.
1: Um, Look, you've got an unhinged psycho killer um, running a nuclear armed superpower. Um, That's um, and and he's making bellicose belligerent um, threats um not even implied threats about the use of nuclear weapons uh which has been off the table i mean you know that i mean it's off the table unfortunately russian military um, um uh, strategy uh, first strike nuclear use is not off the table um it is in in our military playbook off the table um i think that um as we see Uh, And the president may have been anticipating that when cornered, Putin would 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 lash out, which um, now with the bridge being destroyed by the Ukrainians and the missile strikes now uh, uh, targeting civilians all over the country. Putin's in a corner. He's lashing out. And um, we've got a G7 summit coming up where uh, the job is to keep the coalition together to continue support for Ukraine. Um, We've also got a serious uh, military hardware decision coming up in terms of whether or not uh, and to what extent we supply even more sophisticated air defense systems uh, to Ukraine. So the president was sounding a warning. I don't, this was not a gaffe. This was not um, something that people have walked back. Um, He is, seriously warning the world that Putin, Putin's a madman at this point. And uh, we've got a real risk, we've got a risky situation. This is probably the riskiest global uh, situation concerning nuclear weapons that we've had since um, uh, Cuba and Kennedy and the Bay of Pigs and all the the crisis back in the early in the early 60s over Russia, bringing uh, nuclear weapons
0: to Cuba. Alicia, was it a
2: gaffe? I I don't think it was a gaffe. And I'm all for him saying the obvious that if Putin were to use a nuclear weapon, it would be Armageddon. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean how we would retaliate or does it mean just the use of one alone would be? But I think it's a fair warning. Uh, I think it should be said. And I think U.S. has to be strong on this. Look, this should be a message to those very small portion of Republicans who have said if elected to federal office, they would not Uh, Further fund Ukraine. This is not a Ukraine Russia issue. This is a global issue. This is a problem. This affects the entire world. The biggest threat about Putin is this. What keeps most leaders in check is the protection, safety and backlash that may come from their own people. That's what keeps a leader in check. Putin doesn't care about his own people, and there is no backlash to be had. He will change the Constitution as he's done in the past to keep himself there if he has to. His people are suffering. He doesn't care. He's called up all men to the age of 65 to fight in this terrible, illegal war. And when you don't have the threat of your own people being endangered by something like use of a nuclear weapon in the country next door, there's nothing to hold you back. And that should scare everybody.
0: You know what scared me? in what you just said i mean mm. besides the obvious you know nuclear armageddon
2: mm.
0: it's that as you as you were speaking i was inserting the word trump in in place of putin and kind of everything we've heard about the level of impunity that he tried to bring on issues like this to the white house and that he has basically promised he would bring if he were ever elected again and uh that's that's really, really disturbing. Uh, and I, I hate to end a show on a note like that, but we've done it. We've we've completely gone to the biggest bummer of bummers. Uh, Trump, nuclear hey, Armageddon, the combination thereof. No, I, I I blame you guys. and I get to have the final word for Paul and Alicia I'm Matt. We'll see you next time.